Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. While decluttering my office, I came across a report I wrote in Spanish for a culture class the year I spent in Spain. I remember the shock of finding out that kids in Spain didn't get gifts on Christmas morning. As an 18-year-old, I naively thought every child all over the world received gifts at Christmas. But no, in Spain, children set their shoes out on the front porch on the night of January 5 with hay for the wise men's camels. The next morning, they rush outside to find the hay gone and presents in their place. Presents in shoes? <laughs> no, thank you. Only tiny gifts fit in shoes. Americans have trees, big trees, that shelter bigger and better gifts each year. In my ethnocentric naivete, I chuckled a bit at the poor Spanish children who missed out. They never experienced the glories of mountains of brightly wrapped Christmas presents stacked under a tree. Those poor children never spent hours shaking gifts to suss out the contents. They never searched their parents' closets, looking for hidden stashes of gifts. The poor things missed out on the best parts of Christmas. Or did they? I remember the winter we lived at the end of a holler in West Virginia. It stands out in my mind as the worst, best Christmas ever. We lived in an idyllic, turn-of-the-century, two-story house on 40 acres. Enough land that my parents finally caved to my begging for a pony. Peanut had an ornery streak, though. One day, she jumped up on the veranda and trotted through the kitchen in an attempt to rid herself of my little brother. Nevertheless, I loved her and defended her actions to all who complained. While scouring swap meets for bargains, my parents discovered an old harness. I convinced them to buy it, for I had a hazy dream that Peanut would pull a wagon, or perhaps even a plow. I was only eight. As winter drew near, we shivered at night in the cold rooms. In the evenings, our dad read chapters from the Little House on the Prairie books. A new dream formed in my head. I wanted a sleigh for my pony to pull. I wanted to whip across the snow-covered fields like Laura Ingalls Wilder, wind tugging at the edges of my hand-knit scarf as sleigh bells rang out merrily on the crisp morning air. At eight, I didn't know the difference between romantic fantasy and reality. Peanut had never worn a harness. We lived in West Virginia, where snow accumulations rarely covered the tops of my boots. Although my parents loved swap meets and garage sales, the chances of them finding and purchasing a sleigh on their limited means hovered below zero. For months before Christmas, my parents kept the four of us out of the barn. On long winter evenings, they would disappear inside after we went to bed, and we could see the mysterious glow of lights through the weathered wood slats. My older sister and I imagined all the things our parents might be doing. They found a sleigh and are refinishing it for me, I insisted. Maybe, she replied with doubt in her voice. Maybe Mom is sewing something for us out there. Nah, I insisted. She has a sewing room inside. Why take her machine out to the barn? As Christmas Day approached, my dad, a rebel without a pause, announced, Christmas represents a pagan holiday, and Christians have no business celebrating it with a tree. 
My siblings and I rebelled against the rebel. We couldn't understand his sudden decision to forego a tree. Obviously, our parents still meant to give us gifts. We traipsed around the property, breaking off bottom branches of evergreens. Our mom looked a little surprised when we carried our pile to the house and made an awkward corner concoction that sort of resembled a tree. We dug through the attic and found the lights and ornaments to dress our tree, regardless of our dad's dictates. Our forbidden Christmas activity fueled my fever for a one-horse open sleigh. I imagined the card with my name on it, lying under the tree on Christmas morning. In my mind, I ran to the barn and ripped a blanket off a beautifully restored sleigh. Next, I would hurriedly hitch Peanut up and dash off across the snow-covered fields. On Christmas morning, eight feet thundered down the stairs and eager hands flung open the parlor door. Our parents had come through and left gifts under the tree. Vicky had an amazing black tricycle with white polka dots. Kevin had a toolbox with tools inside. Donnie and I, we had cards with directions to head out to the barn. When we arrived, my parents pulled off the blankets and revealed furniture. Yes, two bed frames, dressers, cozy chairs, and desks. My sister's set looked antique and paired beautifully with the delicate yellow floral pattern that covered the chair seat, quilt, and pile of folded curtains. My set, a beautiful white, had my favorite Sears and Roebuck catalog fabric covering the chair. The pastel patchwork pattern looked crisp and clean, but not too girly. A warm quilt matching the curtains and chair completed the set. My face fell. I struggled to come up with an appropriate response. Hot tears of disappointment bored with the knowledge that my parents had spent hours refurbishing used furniture for us. They had looked through the earmarked catalog pages and figured out which dream belonged to which daughter. The bed frames would replace the paint cans under the corners of our mattresses. Desk and chairs and pretty fabric would turn our rooms into beautiful bowers, just like the ones we drooled over in the Sears and Roebuck catalog. My unrealistic expectations crashed around me. I remember mouthing an incoherent thank you for their gift and pouting the rest of the day. No beautiful sleigh. No sleigh ride behind my frisky pony. Instead, a sacrifice for something I didn't want, but something I needed. By the end of the day, or perhaps it took a whole week, I had fallen in love with my furniture as reality set in. Peanut would have made a lousy and dangerous carriage pony. I grew to appreciate the sacrifice of time, money, and talent that went into the loving gifts my parents gave me that Christmas. Christmas, after all, is about sacrifice and love. I had learned the folly of consumerism. Even if a book fueled my desire, it's still qualified as consumerism. But in order to understand what happens in our heads during the holiday season, and apparently the months leading up to it, we need to understand the term consumerism. Just like everything else about Christmas, the word has two dueling definitions. One, a preoccupation with and an inclination toward the buying of consumer goods. Describes the Black Friday mobs and the thousands of hours of toy commercials advertisers bombard us with. The other term, which appeared at roughly the same time, the early 1970s, has more to do with protecting consumer interests through regulations for consumer safety and manufacturing standards. This kind of consumerism keeps lead paint off our children's toys 
and insists that manufacturers label toys with small parts. Consumerism represents the worst and the best of all that can happen. In order not to lose our way with romantic fantasies and unrealistic expectations, we need to focus on the proper place of gifts during Christmas. Don't get me wrong. Gift-giving scores at the top of my love languages list. I love giving extravagant gifts, and a well-thought-out gift given to me creates all kinds of warm fuzzies. But let's talk about putting the joy back into Christmas. The JOY acronym helps me remember what to focus on during the holidays. J stands for Jesus. To keep our focus on Jesus during the holidays, perhaps we need to remember the three wise men. They came bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts fit for a king. Gold to provide wealth, frankincense to symbolize worship, and myrrh for anointing. They didn't show up with the latest, greatest inventions, the biggest talking doll or battery-powered camel. Tried and true gifts that fulfilled real needs, both present and future. I invite you to stop the insanity of Christmas consumerism, the bad kind, not the good kind. A healthy self-care routine involves planning ahead, setting expectations, and making decisions as a family about what Christmas means to each of you. O stands for others. Learning about our family members and teaching everyone in our family to focus on others helps protect us against consumerism. You can check out the free love languages test. I'll leave a link in the show notes. You'll find tests for married people, singles, teenagers, and children. What you learn may surprise you. The results will certainly help you navigate a less stressful holiday season. The Y stands for yourself. Don't forget yourself over the holidays. Keep up your healthy self-care routines. You'll discover that as you say no to consumerism, you'll have more time for reflection and self-care. This will equip you to handle all the stress that comes with busy seasons in your life. So don't forget, today's hacks spell out joy. Jesus, others, yourself. Join me next week when I share five hacks to help you avoid the post-holiday blues. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.